So have you ever tried to do something by yourself that really needed more than one person? Right? Um, as I was thinking about this, thing, things that came to my mind were like uh, backing up to a bumper pull hitch. Um, let's see, what, what else came to my mind? Uh, a moving, moving sheetrock. Hanging sheetrock. Uh, done it before, and it's, it's not very much fun. Any, any other things that you can think of that, that you've tried to do yourself that would have really been better to have two people? Um, uh, something that I did do by myself, I didn't do by myself, I did it with, with the help of my son. We, we took the, the, the transmission out of his, his pickup. Um, I'm, I'm, probably there are, I'm probably sure there are some who have tried to do that by themselves. Maybe they're really good at doing it by themselves. I would not have been. Um, and we had the right stuff. Right? We can all, I think, think of things that we've done in the past by ourselves that would have been better had we done them with someone else. Because life, as I said, truly is better together. Uh, you know, when you try to do something by yourself and it doesn't go so well, it can end up in frustration. Um, it, you can end up damaging, like sheetrock, for instance. I mean, I hauled some into the house just last week and the corners are smashed and the mudder's gonna have to fix it because, um, you know, I, I didn't keep it in the right attitude. Um, better together. Uh, we're gonna be looking at community over the next four weeks and, and how we experience our journey with Jesus together as a church family, um, as a congregation, as the body of Christ. And, and one of the greatest examples that I have found in Scripture in regards to this is found in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. If you haven't turned there already, please do. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They... The Christians, the believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, we were created for relationship. You and I were not created to do this thing called life alone. Uh, there was one man created, and, and as God is working through creation, he finds that it's not good for Adam to be alone. Adam needed someone else. We were created for community, for relationship. And, and in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, they, God, one God, three persons, if you will. I don't understand it. I don't get, I don't get it. But I know that it's God, and he describes himself in the best way that we could, that he could for us to, to grasp it even, even a little bit. Um, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit existed, exist today in community, in relationship, together. 
And, and we were created in his image. And as image bearers of God, we bear that part, part of his image in that way. We, we are created for community. Not created to do life alone. We were not created to worship or celebrate communion alone. We were not created to, to experience baptism alone. It's a very public thing. And we, we did that last week. Amazing celebration, a privilege to be a part of so many coming forward to, to make the declaration that they are a Christ follower publicly. Um, we cannot fulfill the one another's, what are often referred to as the one another's in scripture, unless we are in community. Love one another, forgive one another, uh, serve one another. We can't do any of the one another's unless we are together and we are better together. Yeah, it comes with its challenges, absolutely. Togetherness comes with its challenges. Relationships are hard but we were created for them and God can give us the strength to work through whatever it is in those relationships that, that we need to. Without relationships, we can't obey God. And today we dig into this idea of our lives being better together in focusing on communion. It's referred to as the Lord's table or the Lord's supper. Some, some denominations refer to it as remembrance. Uh, some the breaking of bread early in the church history, actually, uh, and some churches still use it today, the Holy Eucharist. Now, I want to ask you another question this morning. Have you, have you ever forgotten something? I, I see somebody out there shaking their head. No, nobody's shaking their head. No, right. Um, let me see. Car keys. Uh, grocery list. I forgot several things when I came up to church this morning that I intended to bring. Didn't remember those. Uh, what about bigger, more important things? Uh, somebody's birthday? An, an anniversary? Uh, I ran across this this morning, actually. Honey, what's the password? It's our anniversary date. <laughs> she did this on purpose. Didn't she? You know, it's genius. My wife and I, our, our anniversary is on the same day. So it's easy for us to remember. <laughs> oh, no, that's our birthday. Yeah, our birthday is on the same day. Which it is. It's not the same year. She will remind everybody that she's three years younger than me. But November 17th, I, I, when, when we were first you know, dating, I, I made her get her driver's license out and show me to prove to me that her, her birthday was actually on November 17th. Um, it's, it's easy to remember my wife's birthday. Uh, not so fun to celebrate it because it's like, okay, who's going to surprise who this year with the party? Um, we forget important things. Uh, a dentist appointment or a doctor appointment maybe. I, I, growing up, I had a, a, a reoccurring nightmare that at the end of a college semester when I got my report card, I realized that I had registered for a class that I never ever went to. And of course I had a big fat F on there, right? Oh, now what are we going to do? Um, other, other, I, I have had other nightmares where I forgot about a funeral that I was supposed to do. Um, I, uh, you know, I've never so far <laughs> forgotten that I had a funeral to do. I can't imagine, honestly, how devastating that might be to a family if the pastor doesn't show up or, or a wedding, you know, I don't know how on earth you would actually forget that, but, um, 
those are major, major things. Um, I did actually miss a final exam once. Uh, I didn't forget that I had a final exam. I thought the final exam was at four, and it was actually at two. And I showed up to the classroom to take the final exam, and there is nobody there. And you know that moment where you go, uh-oh. That was a uh-oh. And I went to the professor, and fortunately, it, it, they were kind and gracious and merciful and gave me the final exam right there in their office. I, I had not talked to anybody. I didn't get any special, you know, there was nothing nefarious on my part. I just made a big, huge mistake. So today we're focusing on verse 42 and 46 in this passage. And we're going to be focusing on different parts of this passage over the next four weeks. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, this is twofold. They broke bread together in that they enjoyed fellowship with each other and they ate together all the time. You know, when we have, when we have family gatherings, do we, does anyone ever have, honestly, any sort of gathering where there isn't some kind of food involved? If it's a Bible study, generally there's food, there's a dessert, something. We, we just, we are drawn to the fact that, that food and fellowship, they go together. Um, many of our, our most depth family conversations have happened where? Around the table, the kitchen table, the dining room table, wherever it is that you eat over breakfast or lunch or dinner or some special event. Um, Oftentimes, when you're either beginning a, a gathering at your home or you're ending the gathering at your home, that the, the sort of central gathering place before everybody disperses or where everybody, where everybody gathers is the kitchen. It just is weird. It, it just is. And, and it's because this breaking of bread together is, is important. And, and they, also, they also broke bread because they were commanded by Jesus. We'll see in a moment. They also broke bread in remembrance of who Jesus was. Um, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And this remembrance of me is very similar to that remembrance that we talked about a few weeks ago in the last couple chapters of Ecclesiastes when Solomon says, remember. Remember God. It's not just a think about casually. This is a significant and powerful moment in time where we are to remember. There is weight to it. Um, yet, it does involve thinking about. Uh, it also involves meditating on. It involves gratefulness. It involves worship, praise, um, solemn, solemnness. But before we get to the breaking of the bread part, I feel that it's important for us to also consider a couple other things that happened leading up to that Last Supper. Uh, and, and typically, we only... We only focus on this once a year around Easter time. We, we only really kind of challenge each other to think about this. But, but I want to I take this opportunity in the series that we're in right now to, to do that today. Um, so I want us to first consider the Wednesday before the Last Supper. What happened, what happened on the Wednesday before the Last Supper? And, and tradition would say that it was an incredible day of darkness. It, it's traditionally the day that Judas Iscariot agreed to betray Jesus for money. For 30 shekels of silver, Judas agreed 
to betray the one that he's been spending day in and day out with. Who, uh, he, he has agreed to betray the person who has been pouring into his life, who has been showing him the truth of what's happening and wanting him to be a part of that. Now, I, I can relate to this at sometimes. You know, sometimes I'll sit uh, at home or I'll sit in a service and I'll listen to a pastor and, and the message will just be incredibly powerful and convicting in my heart. And I leave there going, my life's going to be different. My life's going to be, ch- I'm, I'm changed because of the power of God that spoke over me in the midst of that. And then the very, very next day I stumble and fall and I forget what I just heard and what I just committed to. I can relate to that in the way that Judas certainly did. Um, for Judas, this was a dark day. For me, I'm reminded of my continual failure, failures in my life. Um, my sin that is ever before me. Now, this wasn't a dark day for Jesus. Uh, he knew it was coming, but Jesus seems, seems to be unfazed by it. Now, I say that because we don't have anything, any evidence that would tell us otherwise. Um, we're not told that Jesus did anything on Wednesday. We have... We have uh, things that he did on the other days leading up to his crucifixion, but we're not told that he did anything on Wednesday. But he knew what was going on. He was sitting in the background. He could have, he could have approached Judas and said, hey, so this thing you're thinking about, maybe you shouldn't do that. But, but Jesus didn't do that. Um, I, I think there's been times in my life where I fall into sin and, and I, I think to myself, God, why didn't you stop me? Why didn't you put somebody in front of me who could say, David, I, for, for some reason, I know that you're about to make this decision or you're, you're about to do this thing. Don't do it. It's, it's wrong. It's sin. It's going to lead you down a road that you don't want to go. But, But I ask God, why did you let me do that? Why did you let me do something stupid? Well, there's, there's many reasons. Free will that he's given us is one of those. But he, I think God also allows us to sin. We, we, don't, we don't often turn to God when things are going well, right? I mean, we forget. We forget that God is the one who gives us all good things. And, and, and we don't thank him and we're not grateful and, and you know, we, we, just, we, we just do our own thing. Those times when we reach out to God the most are the times when, unfortunately, when we're at the most bottom of our barrel, isn't it? Sometimes God lets us sin. He allows us to make poor choices so that we can learn from those mistakes. Now, as we saw in the entire book of Ecclesiastes, uh, that's not what God wants. He doesn't want us to do wrong so that we learn good. He wants us to do good, and he wants us to obey him because he told us. But there are those times when we're going to do what we want, and, and God patiently waits as we wallow in and try to hide our sin for a period of time. Judas is making a huge mistake. Now, the worst thing that could ever happen, Judas is doing it, killing God. But the best thing that could ever happen, God in the flesh is about to give up his life for us. So that we can be free from sin. 
The wages, the wages of sin is death. The bill for sin is death. The debt that we owe is death. Eternal separation from God. And, and Jesus Christ, the week of, that we're speaking of here, is going to cover that debt. He's going to pay the bill with his own life. And it's the best thing that we could ever have. Matthew 21, 42 says that Jesus said, Have you ever read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone? The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus is the capstone. Now the cadence of the activities really begin to speed up. As we move into Thursday, the activities, the things that happen and the things that we're told about, lots of things happen, especially in the evening of Thursday night. Now, Thursday is the, is the night that Jesus prays in the garden. It's, it's the night that, that he, uh, he sweats blood and, and it's also the night that he gets arrested and then endures an incredibly illegal trial all night long on Thursday night. Uh, it's also the evening when Judas walks out on the whole bunch. He's been, he's been with the team for three years. And on that night, he walks out on them. The disciples liked Judas. They trusted him. At least we're not told otherwise. Oscar Wilde said that a, that a cynic is someone who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. That was Judas. He had a price for everything. He was always thinking about money. To Judas, everything had a price, but he certainly missed the true worth of everything that Jesus stood for. Now, Jesus knew about his sneaky plot. Jesus knew that he had slinked off one, one, one day or that moment on Wednesday to cash it in with, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But Jesus does the most amazing thing just before the meal, the last supper, doesn't he? When everyone is gathering for dinner, this Passover dinner in the upper room, all the disciples, all the disciples are, you know, it's like, you're supposed to be there at six o'clock. You know, they're all showing up. They're all coming in. They're kind of gathering around, mingling around, visiting, talking about the day, that sort of thing, you know. And, uh, and then something absolutely dumbfounding happens. See, normally when there's a, a, a meal, a formal meal, which this Last Supper would have been, and, and people arrive, there would be a servant there who would have a towel and a, a pan of water and would wash their feet. And, and you know, it was, it's like, well, why, why just their feet? Well, you know, they wore sandals. They didn't have tennis shoes and boots and that sort of thing. And they walked on dusty streets. And, and not only that, but they reclined at the table. So your feet would be in the next guy's face right? While you're eating this, while you're sharing this meal together. And so that was a part of the tradition. They would wash their feet and it would, there would always be a foot washer servant who would be there. But in this occasion, there wasn't at least not one that they would, that they had expected. And, and then Jesus walks in the room. And, and I don't know if we ever really truly get the picture of what this looked like. The, the man who claimed to be God the man who had done miracle after miracle, walked on water, made people blind, or made people see who were blind, rose people from the dead, 
takes his robe off, wraps a towel around his waist or a, a, some other form of, of cloth or I don't, know what they, I don't know what they wore for underwear in those days. You know, if he took his robe off, he only had on what he had on underneath it. This is the son of God. He takes this water and he takes this towel over his arm and he, he says something like, all right, you guys, get in a line. I'm going to wash your feet. I mean, they were, they were stunned. I mean, they initially resisted, right? Peter, Peter says, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Just like John, when, when Jesus said, you need to baptize me, Peter's like, what? no, I need to wash your feet. And Jesus is like, no, 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 this, I need to do this. And then, of course, Peter, in all of his wisdom, says, well, then wash my whole body, right? All right, let's not take advantage of the situation here. But one by one, those sinful men stood in a line as the Son of God washed their feet. And, and I don't know if they sat. I don't know if they just stood there. Um, regardless, Jesus was at a, in a servant's position below them, washing their feet. And, and really, the lesson that Jesus, one of the lessons that Jesus is teaching us is that 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 servanthood is just yet another extension of what Jesus wants us to learn. That we need to serve others. He's been trying to say this to these 12 hard-headed guys for three years. That true fulfillment in this life will never come as a, as a result of self-gratification. True peace, true contentment, um, True fulfillment comes when we serve others. If we're always thinking, I'm just one acquisition away from being fulfilled. I'm one achievement away. I'm one thrill away. I'm one relationship away. I'm I'm one this or one that. He says, you got to know something. You're never going to find true fulfillment in that. It's not going to happen. And and we know this from our own experience, if we're honest with ourselves. Some of those miserable people in the world are the ones who are seeking after, only after everything for themselves. Their souls are shriveling up. Jesus says it's actually the opposite. And along the way, we need to lift other people up as we are seeking to, to find God's mission for our life. Sometimes we need to crawl under other people's loads. Sometimes we need to bless other people. We need to care for the poor. We need to find folks who have fallen on hard times and and we get to helping them in whatever way that we can. Jesus says, true fulfillment will flood your soul when you choose the path of serving, not being served. So think about it. we, We could wind up with a bigger house, a bigger bank account, a bigger staff at work, all of that, and a shriveled up heart and soul to show for it all. True fulfillment never comes through self-gratification. It comes in a relationship with the living God, experiencing his purpose for our life, serving him humbly as we carry it out and serving people along the way. Then we will know the joy that has been set before us, which our hearts were created. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, I, I want to ask you to do something. What, 
I want you to ask yourself, what is hindering my relationship with Christ? Is there something in your life that, that has gotten in the way of finding peace and contentment in your relationship with Jesus? Is there something that is creating doubts for you of his love for you? Is, is there something, uh, maybe, maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe you have been the betrayer. You know, as I, I thought about this, two, thing, two things came to mind. First of all, as I think about each disciple, right? Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter denies him three times. Thomas doubts him. Um, Matthew was in, in a lot of things, at least originally for himself. He used other people uh, for his own gain. Uh, the sons of thunder, they were rebellious. They were, they were, they were suffering the sin of com- competition all of the time. Every disciple was human, just like you and me. And, and just like every one of those disciples was at that table with Jesus, and Jesus washed every one of their feet, even Judas's, we have a place at that table too. As one of his disciples, we have a place at that table. And Jesus, if you are a Christ follower, Jesus has washed your feet already. He's washed them. Think about your own life. Evaluate your own life. Is there something right now that is in the way? Uh, I took a day on Thursday and I went out and I was just quiet before the Lord for, for the whole day. And uh, it's something that as staff we try to practice once a month. And it, it just didn't seem terribly exceptional to me. Like the day was nice and it was a quiet place. And I was in a campground and there was nobody else there. It was just me and some turkeys and some deer. And God spoke to me something that I hadn't, that I needed to hear and that I hadn't heard in a long time. And, and that was that, that I had fallen into a, a mode of, unf- I was unfaithful to God in a sense that I had, I had allowed, I had chosen to take on burdens of others onto my own shoulders and, and attempt to bear the weight. And it was it was crushing me, but I was trying to be my best self and, and be as strong as I could and bear the weight of this responsibility that I have as a father, as a husband, as a pastor. And God said to me, as clear as he's ever said anything, you got to stop it. This is sin, David. You need to repent of it and you need to lay those things down at my feet because I got this. I got this. You be responsible for what I'm calling you to be responsible for, but there's a lot of things that you can't do, and you need to let, leave those to me. And, and, and then God, God told, showed me this. I'm reading a book on prayer, and, and in this book, the author says that God is illimitable in what he can do. He can do the impossible, right? We say that. We say that all the time. Do we really believe it? Do, do I really believe it? There's some things that, 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 are, that are taking place in some of my family members' lives, and I'm like, it feels impossible to me. I want to wield whatever power I have and whatever control and try to manipulate this and manipulate that to try and make whatever happen, say the right words, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and really, uh, I'm just a human being. God's power is illimitable. That's the word that this author used. 
Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Yet here I'm grabbing things and trying to take, take, use my own power to, to fix, fix these situations. And then the author says this. He said, we need to have the faith. See, God can do the impossible. We need to let him do it. We need to ask him to do it. We need to rely on him to do it. We need to give it to him. And, and then the author said this. All too often, we think that God should act tomorrow like he always has in the past. Because we know things, right? We know things that God has done. He's done this this way and that that way, and we see how he did stuff with the Israelites. And, and so then we, we build this expectation, though it's the impossible, though it's the miraculous, we develop this expectation that God's still going to act a certain way, right? There is nothing that limits God to acting like he always has in the past in the future. He can do whatever he wants, and he can act differently. He can do something completely different that we've never seen him do before. And when I think about that, it, it, it almost opens up space in my spirit to where I can step back and I can say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you with this and, and I'm just going to wait. I, seriously, I'm just going to wait and see what you do. I mean, I, I've seen you do this before. I've seen you act this way before. But, but look, I, there is nothing that you've done in the past that limits you to doing that in the future. He can do it however he wants, right? Let's trust him for that. I mean, the, 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 he already did that. We're reading about that right now. What? You're going to die? You're going to be crucified? Well, I mean, I understand the sacrifice thing, but whoa, this is just on a Roman cross? No way. God had never done that before. He had given hints of it, but he had never done that before. So in your worship folder, there's a blank piece of paper. And this is what I want you to do right now for the next few moments as I continue in, in the message here. And, and Pastor Brandon's going to help me with this today. Um, I want you to write things on here that are in the way. That, that are, that are they're hindrances to your relationship with God. Whatever, whatever has come to your mind this morning that, that the Holy Spirit has said, look, this is what David is sharing, what's, what God has said to him. This is what I'm saying to you. I want you to write it on this piece of paper. Uh, we tried to put as many pins as we could underneath the seats so that you would make sure to have a pin. Write, write those things. I've already written on mine. It's, it's done. Things that... Things that maybe require Jesus to do some, some foot washing for you. And maybe you think about it this way. What disciple do you feel like you're the most like? Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's betrayal. Maybe it's arrogance. Maybe it's competition. Maybe it's, it's disobedience. We can all find a place. Write them down, then fold it, and then I want you to hang on to it. So after the foot washing, they ate dinner together. We call it the Last Supper. In a few minutes, we're going to follow Jesus' example by remembering his sacrifice, by partaking of the elements that Jesus shared with him. After supper, Jesus takes his friends out to the garden to pray. 
And Jesus enters into a zone of torment and anguish as he pleads and languishes, languishes with God for there to be some other way to do this. But yet he was completely obedient to the Father's will. And then below him is an orange snake, a snake of torches winding its way up the hill. And at the head of that snake is Judas. And Judas doesn't just betray Jesus, he betrays him with a kiss. And that snake had been coiling for thousands of years. And at that moment, it struck at the very heart of God. And all hell breaks loose against Jesus. And that brings us to Friday. By now, we're at Good Friday. But why is it good? Because it's the day that our sin was paid for. I mean, we have a cross here. We have a cross over there, and we have this beautiful handcrafted cross up here. I mean, just look at it. I don't know how tall that is. Beautifully made. Beautifully crafted. The problem is it's innocent looking, isn't it? These ones might be a closer portrayal of the ugliness of the true cross. Rough, hand-hewn. Beams put together. What happened on it was horrendous because real nails, nails that we have put out here beside it, long spikes were pounded in. Real blood. It was a good idea. Okay. Real blood was spilled out. Now, how much was enough? Hmm. How much? Was this enough blood? When those nails went into the cross? Well, let's go back a little before that. My sin and your sin are serious that so serious that it could be paid for in no other way other than by the shedding of blood. Jesus went voluntarily to the cross, not one like that or not one like that or not one like that, but one that was used as a, a torture device for Roman lawbreakers. Jesus went to that cross thinking of you and thinking of me, thinking of Judas, the very one that betrayed him. Oh, yes, he washed Judas' feet as well. Not just all the others. And he also died for Judas. And, and the one that would doubt, Thomas. Oh, yes, he died for him as well. At the Last Supper, Jesus said he was going to pour out his blood to pay for our sin. How much blood? Is this enough blood? Maybe. Maybe so. You know, a, a little bit of love, even that amount, the, the amount that maybe Jesus sweat as he was contemplating the task before him. Maybe this was enough. Just those droplets of blood that landed on the dirt. How about 
the blood that was shed when he was beaten, brutally beaten, lots and lots of blood, way more than what is right there, probably as much as that picture or more was the amount of blood that he shed when he was beaten with the cat of nine tails when the, the metal ripped the flesh off his back. Is this enough blood? Maybe. Most likely it's God. It wouldn't take much. Or then would it? It took the death of his son. Then the crown of thorns is placed upon his head. More blood running down his face. If you could even recognize his face and recognize his forehead after being beaten. How much? How much, Jesus? How much blood do you have to give to atone for the sin of the world? How much? How much? How much does it take? He kept giving and giving and giving and giving and giving. And he didn't stop even when he shed all the blood that humanly was possible. Honestly, by the time he got done being beaten, Jesus should never have been able to walk, let alone carry a cross. But he kept pouring his blood out for you and for me. Beaten, bruised. This is why we celebrate communion. Because during that time, Jesus said, you need to do this in remembrance of me. At about three o'clock on Friday afternoon, Jesus cried out, it is finished. It's done. I have paid the price for the sins of the world. The whole sky went dark. The earth shook. The temple veil was torn in two. And all the people standing around the crowded confines around the crucifixion pointed up and they said, truly, this is the Son of God. They took him down at about sundown on Friday and they laid him in a tomb. So for 2,000 years, followers of Jesus Christ have been remembering the events of the last days of the life of Jesus as he walked this earth. As David already said, we call it communion or the Lord's Supper of remembrance. Jesus himself invites us to return again and again. You know, I think about the passage in Acts where it said that they were breaking bread constantly. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. What if we remembered every time we sat down to eat a meal as we break bread with our families, what Jesus did for us. It doesn't have to be this bread or, or juice. Maybe it's the soda you're drinking or the water you're drinking that reminds you of the cross of Jesus Christ. Hear the words of Jesus as they are delivered by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on that night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also, and and after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Then he took the cup of wine. Actually, during the traditional Passover meal, they had four different cups, all representing some facet of God's activity, freeing them from destructive influences, no matter what form they took. He told them to drink it. Remember, he called it a new covenant, a new promise, a new type of love, a sacrificial love, one that started in the upper room as he got down on his hands and his knees and stripped his robe off and did the job the servant was supposed to do. And I'm here to tell you, I walked around a whole summer with sandals at a camp, day in and day out, 9,500 degree weather, and it's not a very pleasant job to even clean your own feet after you've done that. This was the job that was meant for the lowly of the lowliest of servants. It started in that room, that sacrificial love. Remember this, Jesus said, every time you eat and drink this cup, this morning we are going to do just that. Remember Jesus' broken body and poured out blood, his life for our broken lives. So we have three crosses set up. This one here, one on each side. There's one up out out here for for those that are upstairs. We have nails and, and hammers. And so each station has a tray of juice. It has the basket of bread. And, and as, as David plays along and, and the team plays along, we also have a, a video that's just very powerful. Take the paper that you have and nail it to the cross. Nail it to the cross. May it be a spot in your mind that when the enemy is, is going back, and reminding you of those ways, those things that you've written on your blank piece of paper that you can say, oh, no, I nailed that to the cross on September 4, 2022. And Jesus took that and buried it with him in the, in the grave. Um, we have some hand sanitizer if you want. And then come and, and get your bread and, and, and your cup and take it back to your seat and just sit and listen to the song. Listen to the music. Listen to what God is saying in your heart. Let's pray. Oh God, you are so merciful and you are so gracious and so forgiving and loving that you sent your son to die on the cross for us, to shed his blood, to have his body beaten beyond all recognition that we, humanity, might live that we might be able to come back to what you designed us to be in the garden before Adam and Eve sinned, to have communion with you, to have relationship with you and with others, because we are better together. God, I pray you'll just speak to our hearts this morning. Help us to realize how important this cup and this bread is and the significance that it holds for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.